Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Pivoli, Staff Actuary Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. The adoption date for IFRS 17 is now only a couple of months away. If you're a PNC actuary that still has outstanding implementation issues, should you be panicking? The answer, absolutely yes. But don't worry, we have you covered. This is the first of two episodes where we will be providing some last-minute discussion points as we move towards January 1st. So joining us to walk through these issues are CIA members Sandy McLean and Houston Chang. Thank you both for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you, Chris. So before we get into some of the more specific details, I'd just like to get some of your reflections on IFRS 17 through this process. Uh, How were you involved in this? What were some of the things you liked, the things you didn't like? And how are you managing into the final weeks before implementation? What are some of the key learnings you would like to share? Because it feels like IFRS 17 has been quite a consistent part of my career from IFRS 4 phase 2 to to what it is now. Um, In terms of my involvement in IFRS 17, I've been leading the actual work stream on IFRS 17 at Munich Re on the PNC side for local implementation. And I'm also the co-chair of the CIA's IFRS 17 steering committee. In terms of what I like about IFRS 17, well, my kids would tell you that I love IFRS 17. I definitely spent too much time over the pandemic mixing virtual schooling with IFRS 17 conference calls with Germany. But um, one of the things I've really enjoyed about it is, and, and am enjoying about it, is the intellectual challenge. There's a lot of new stuff that's being thrown at us where we have to really, as actuaries, work through, you know, understanding how to implement the standard and then what the implications are. But it, it has been quite challenging in some ways. One thing I would comment on is that common sense doesn't necessarily seem to have prevailed. It still does mystify me that we managed to get so far, you know, in terms of implementing a massive accounting standard change, yet the business benefits are still slightly unclear. And, you know, we should expect that there will be some confusion as we wrap our arms around the results when we start to see them. But the decision was made and there's no going back, kind of like Brexit. Hopefully, um, you know, we will end up in a place that is uh, that there is more clarity and consistency in terms of accounting standards applied to insurance uh, accounting. But uh, overall, it's been a really interesting journey. I feel like we're probably, I don't know, mile 20 even of a marathon. And uh, we've got, you know, that last push to go before we implement. So we just need to, to get on on with it, really. Um, Houston, what about you? <laughs> you hit on so much stuff in there, Santi. <laughs> um, so, so for me, I, you know, I've really started getting involved back when the the standard was uh, near final and, and finalized uh, from various perspectives. You know, in the early days, uh, as chair of the PCFRC, drafting a lot of the guidance, or at least leading and, and helping draft some of the guidance that uh, many of the, many of the actors in Canada are using, and quite frankly, around the world are using. And Moving on to actually working with companies that I, I currently work with, both from my capacity as a point actuary, as well as from the audit or from kind of implementation side of things. So just seeing a, a, a relatively wide gamut of the journey into IFR 17. I, I like how Satyushi brought up something that you liked pretty easily and you referenced a big part of 17 where it was done in COVID. I think for me, actually, what I liked about it, if there's anything I can, I can like, it's really the newness of it, right? So a lot of modeling, dealing with new challenges, working with new people, um, you know, working very closely with accountants, with with finance, with IT, um, and, and building something uh, from scratch in many instances. And this reference was used a lot where, you know, you're building an airplane while it's in the air kind of thing. So, so that was quite 
neat in terms of uh, being able to participate in that. But in terms of well, hate, it's a strong word. I don't know if I actually hate anything within 17, but there's certainly a lot of uh, dislikes right where um you know there, there's things that like you say sati where it seems reasonable but it, it from an actuarial perspective but when you actually talk to accountants um it's just we, we're not thinking the same way right and at the end of the day it's it's an accounting standard and there's only so much that as an actuary you you might are able to push on certain issues right so so that's where you know also part of the learning where you know just learning to compromise or um where you need to stand firm you stand firm um, so in terms of managing heading into the final weeks, I, I think, you know, that that running the marathon reference certainly have come up uh, quite a bit. But for me, I just feel like, you know, this finish line might be 1-1-2023, but there's still a really long victory lap of some sort of cool down lap or a frantic run to the, the year end December 31st, 2023 to come. So that, that's kind of where, where I think uh, my, my feeling is if we wanted to reference. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the OSFI transition readiness test. And as the name suggests, the goal of this exercise was to test the readiness of companies as they transition to IFRS 17. So do you think this goal was achieved? I, I think, you know, overall, the goal was definitely achieved. You know, there was a lot of grumblings from the industry when this came up back in March, April, right? So another thing that companies have to do and, and the teams have to deal with. But if if we measure the fact that the, the goal of the TRT was to kind of testing the industry's actual readiness, whether they're actually ready or not, right? I, I think it, it achieved the goal that you know, this got the industry moving forward in the reporting process, you know, and understanding that perfection may not be achieved from from the company's perspective in their filing with OSFI on September 30th, but it, it moved the, the dial forward. It, it gave everyone a common goal that they really had to to put everything to the test. So in terms of just testing uh, the readiness, yeah, I think it, it was achieved. Sati, is that the sense that you get from your perspective? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, Houston. I think it was almost a necessary evil that we had to go through this. And, you know, IFRS 17 has been such a, a long running project that having these deadlines in between and uh, in terms of ensuring, you know, that we're meeting deliveries is essential. And and that's sort of how we viewed it. And, and it was that, you know, this is now the next stage. We had done the QISs uh, where we were testing impact analyses. And now this was really a dry run. Can we produce the returns and have we got the system set up to enable that. The timing of uh, reporting under IFRS 17 is going to be extremely tight. And, you know, a lot of companies are going to just have to be able to streamline how they produce the returns and, uh, you know, and ensure that they are, you know, a quality product. Um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely something that was worthwhile. And, and I think as well, it's, it's laid the roadmap for some work that needs to be undertaken to be able to actually produce the returns, uh, you know, when we're in a live environment. Hmm, okay, so were there any specific uh, positive results that came out of this exercise and were there some challenges that you identified along the way? Yeah, the positives I'd say were sort of, you know, as I said, having a roadmap to what that 31st of March return is going to look like and having a plan for, you know, sort of addressing the critical areas that need to be addressed. One thing with IFRS 17 is that the devil really is in the detail. And when you then look at the regulatory requirements and the interpretation that the regulator has, there are some areas where OSFI's interpretation or requirements for the regulatory return can be different to IFRS 17. So this really allowed companies and, and, uh, you know, the accountants and the actuaries to to look at what's going on, uh, what OSFI is requiring and requesting and making sure that they could then take the IFRS 17 balance sheet and adapt it for OSFI reporting. 
And then I think from from my perspective, then that question, Chris, in terms of positive results, you know, certainly agree with uh, many things that Satya mentioned already. But I think the, the positive, again, really is that companies were forced to, right? Even if uh, the resources and, and systems may not be 100% ready, they were forced to accelerate their process, right? To achieve the completion of the regulatory filings in whatever state that they, they submitted it or they were able to generate for September 30th, right? So even if the, the pictures or numbers weren't all rosy, uh, at least it served as a, a, a real draw run and external deadline and a wake-up call right on, on key individuals and systems that needs to be either shored up or worked on right in order to hit that q1 reporting and you know like sati said right with the roadmap of you know if, if things can't be completed for q1 you know there's still a few quarters next year to smooth things out or having that, that idea ideas of how to improve the process where uh, the improvements can be had and I'd say one other area I think this will pay dividends is increasing the number of people who've been involved. So, you know, certainly, you know, when we were looking at the quantitative impact studies, there's a lot of actuarial involvement. And I, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say if this is true for all companies, but I think the actuaries carried the burden. Whereas now we're really transitioning into how do we take those numbers and how do we report them to, you know, our regulator and and and, and elsewhere. And this is really involving the accountants and others in the organisation, which is actually a really positive thing for IFRS 17 because you know come next year we're all going to have to be reading financials in with an IFRS 17 lens and a challenge that's going to come with that is that you know if you haven't been involved in the journey it's not necessarily the easiest thing to pick up and, and understand so I think that you know that sort of educational piece is also a benefit of, of, of having gone through the through, through the TRT. Let's talk a bit about the role of the appointed actuary in this whole process. So as we get into the final few weeks of this year, what are some of the key activities that uh, appointed actuaries are performing or should be performing at this point? I think, you know, there's many things that we, depending on where the companies are at, obviously, but I think there's many, many things that as a point actuary that, you know, that we still need to do and, and certainly activities that likely will take place post actual transition at one one twenty twenty three, right? So I think as Satya mentioned, a lot of actuaries and point actuaries would have been involved in the actual TRT process and generating a lot of the numbers on the face of the financials and then, you know, helping others within the company understand the numbers, but then moving forward is you know continuing working with implementation if if they're not completed or testing of the systems if they're not completed, so validating some of the generated results either from systems or from internal software, right? So looking at the outputs from both the balance sheet and income statement, um, and then maybe some of the more detailed schedules in the footnotes or in, in the the notes to financials, um, and then in terms of the regulatory returns, you know there there likely will be areas that were identified at the TRT process uh, that can be. Approved Moved on, right? And, and additional schedules that opponent actuaries may be asked or required to produce from that perspective. Other companies might be fine tuning the assumption, so fine tuning discounting and risk adjustments and, and kind of preparing then for reporting under the AAR within the IFR 17 framework, right? So we can probably separate work for the AA in the form of, you know, there's work that needs to be done in the last few weeks of 2022, and there's likely a, a fairly long list for next year as well. Yes, that list for next year does seem to be growing, Houston, that's for sure. So uh, I, I think the actuaries have got a key role to play in terms of the audit 
prep, you know, of whatever balances the, the, the auditors are going to be looking out for IFRS 17. And uh, certainly sort of some of those, you know, the, some of the key policy decisions that were made earlier on, there may be some testing that needs to be supported to, to supplement that, um, to, you know, to demonstrate that whatever approach has been taken is reasonable. You know, and, and Houston, as you said, the fine tuning is going to be important. You know, does anything need to change? Uh, you know, IFRS 17 implementation is certainly not going to be perfect. And uh, the question is what needs to be fine tuned before implementation? And, and I think the actuaries are going to have a role to play there, you know, not just in terms of the, the, you know, the risk adjustment and the discounting, but also, you know, as the role of the appointed actuary will be evolving, you know, are there areas of the financial statement that the actuary is going to need to be able to opine on or, or have a view on that they need to get comfortable with or challenge before those the transition and, and the comparatives are finalised? Um, I think the actuaries will also have a role to play in terms of educating not just others in the organisation, but, you know, your board, do, do they know what to expect? Is this going to be a really big surprise? How will the results be interpreted externally uh, when, you know, comparatives or, or reporting, you know, are finally publicly available across the industry, across the globe, apart from the US, obviously. So, uh, so the actuaries, I think, are going to have have a key role to play because they've been there from the beginning, uh, really interpreting and, and you know, the, the standard and, and implementing it. And lastly, I think I'd add sort of in terms of the last few weeks, the, you know, the CIA has finalised its educational notes. And just like anything IFRS 17, there's a lot of material to get through. And so certainly one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, based on the finalised notes, are there any areas where we continue to fine tune so that we are consistent and compliant with Canadian actuarial practice? Let's continue on about the comparatives because obviously year-end results for 2022 will be prepared on both IFRS 4 and IFRS 17. So, so what are some of the issues are you seeing in uh, preparing that documentation on both bases? And I'm also curious what impacts you're seeing potentially on the appointed actuary's opinion. I think this is something that on, on my end, you know, we, we work with various companies in different capacities, right? So as a more actuary as well as uh, from the audit perspective, I mean, if I just leave the implementations alone, just because implementation typically have a good set of uh, people involved already. From the audit and actual appointment actuary perspective, you know, there's actually quite a bit of work that had to be done or need, still needs to be done for the comparatives from 2022, right? So we have the opening balance of 1-1-2022 that will be under FR17. We certainly have the opening balance for 1-1-2023 under FR17. The thinking may have changed in between the preparation of the opening balance of 2022 versus 2023, right? So how do you deal with that, right? So that, that that's one of the, the areas that I think, you know, companies may need to consider. Other areas could be there's actual work that would need to be performed from the actuarial perspective to get those IFRS 17 balances. While, you know, it's not necessarily that the appointed actuary are signing off on opining on, on the validity of these particular year ends and, and those numbers that, that are making their way into the, the balance sheet, um, but they have to be quite reasonable. Otherwise, we really aren't comparable from the actual December 31st, 2023 numbers. So, you know, we, we're certainly spending a lot of time from that perspective uh, as AAs and then, you know, moving forward then uh, from the audit perspective, you know, how how do you audit this, right? And, and we're working closely with the auditors here within our firm here just to get a sense of what uh, we are really opining on as auditors uh, and, and, you know, the time frame of sign-off and, th and things like that. So uh, those are things to consider, you know, for, for both of those balances. 
And then in terms of, you know, our role is shifting under for 17 You know, I think in some respect, you could interpret it as that our role is broader in terms of what we're signing off on the opinion, right? Where uh, in the past, the numbers that appeared on the opinion within the AAR are more strictly the, the claim and premium liabilities, right? Whereas now it's anything that, that that is on the balance sheet or income statement, right? So it's really the financial statements that we should be opining on. So that would, my interpretation is, you know, we wouldn't, it would encompass anything on the balance sheet. So what we were used to opining on in terms of the LIC and portions of the LRC, but then we have service expense and finance expense within the income statement, as well as the notes to financials, right? So that's certainly some things that, that will still need to be ironed out as to, you know, what it really means. And, and that's, that, that to me is, is part of that list of things that we'll have to do for next year. Yeah, and I, I think I'll just add that, uh, you know, as, as we are preparing, you know, to report under both, you know, IFRS 4 and IFRS 17, a very practical challenge in terms of documenting results and approaches is the sheer amount of detail that's, that we have to deal with. And, you know, obviously, I think everyone's facing, you know, restricted resources or availability of resources to do that. And certainly as, as we're documenting our approaches and our assumptions, we're also trying to do this in a sustainable way so that we're, that we're building processes to support, you know, the provision of assumptions and the review of results. And, and some of this then sort of takes us forward in terms of what we're going to have to be, you know, reporting on in our appointed actuaries report. So a lot of the documentation that we're pulling together is, you know, we're looking at, well, what does that final AAR look like? And, and you know, as Houston you know, as you've said, in some ways, there, there is a question mark as to the opinion of the AA is going to change, but in some ways, it's going to be a lot broader than what it is now. And that appointed actuaries report is going to have to change quite significantly. And while we're not necessarily writing it now, we're getting the pieces together so that we are prepared to to, to be able to support our assumptions and our results and do so in, in the appointed actuaries report. So a very quick question to wrap up. What are some of the other issues that you think we need to talk about on this? I mean, we, we certainly talked a lot about some of the, the things that will be on the AA's list for next year. From the reporting perspective, there's much more to do uh, in other areas. Uh, if we just stay within the realm of the AA, you know, the, the FCT, financial condition testing, yeah, that's actually a, a pretty big question mark in terms of readiness. You know, how much work has companies been preparing for this? Either the use of internal or external models for, for this, it's um, something that will, will need to take place very soon, if not already. So that that's one of them. And the other one is for me, it's, it's I think, the KPIs and, and the planning process. Certainly seeing a lot of companies either have question marks as to does that for a 17 change the planning process? And that might look different for different companies. Like how granular do you go? So I think that's something that we, we might need to explore in a, in a subsequent discussion. Yeah, I totally agree, Houston. Planning and FCT are definitely, um, you know, high on the agenda. And, you know, obviously we need to get through, you know, the 31st of December under both IFRS 4 and IFRS 17. But as you said at the beginning of the podcast, there will need to be a victory lap. You know, once we reach that finish line, that is not it. Uh, and, and whilst our victory lap may be more of a limp, we do need to lift our sights beyond the 31st of December 2022 and be prepared for, you know, the reporting that's going to come, the interpretation of the results the implications for FCT. And then, you know, as I mentioned as well, you know, we'll have to get that AAR, the, the actuarial report done as well. So uh, I think 2023 has the potential to be potentially busier than 2022. Okay, great. Well, let's tackle these topics in the next episode that we do together. But in the meantime, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. We now have well over 100 episodes in our podcast series going back over the past three years, so we encourage you all to subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes. 
And you can do that through whatever platform you use to get your podcast content. We'd like to hear from you as well. So if you have any suggestions or episode ideas, you can send them to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. As well, we're always looking for content to put on our Seeing Beyond Risk blog. So if you have some ideas you'd like to share, you can contact us at seeingbeyondrisk at cia-ica.ca. And finally, we have recently launched a new site covering all of the exciting changes to the CIA qualification requirements. So you can check out www.education.cia-ica.ca for all the details. Until next time, I'm Christopher Boley, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.